Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, but I guess you know that, right? God willing, you know that, and uh, but maybe you don't listen to me, haven't listened to me before, so you're new, so I want to welcome you to the show, Idle Chatter. And uh, we're always being blessed with new listeners, and I want to thank you so much. Thank you for the old listeners and the new listeners. And I will also invite the new listeners to go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, and look at all of the content there. And also you could click on the tab for podcasts and see what is going on. They have about, I don't know, I don't even know anymore, 300 episodes of Idle Chatter and uh, short shows, 60-second shows, which are just like in and out real quick to give you a piece of information. And then on the road show and also the Farm Machinery Digest radio, but you need to click onto the tab that says FMD radio for that. And that's actually the show that it airs on Sirius XM channel 147 rural radio. So uh, check it all out, and there's educational articles, and there's a lot of content up there. Not because it's mine, but there is. So excuse me. Uh, So uh, let me see. I wanted to go over some things with you today. And talking about the On the Road show, what I want to give you a little bit of an explanation, because I have a number of episodes coming up that I have to record uh, one or two of well, maybe by now one of them will be recorded. And uh, originally we were posting those on Mondays, and I think we're going to keep that so that those shows will go up on Monday. And, and I and I sincerely want to thank those people who do take the time to listen to them. And the original intent of that show, if I never explained it before, that you know, as a technical writer, I got pigeonholed like an like a actor i'm not an actor but like an actor you said that guy always plays the bad guy or he always plays a priest or something and then you uh you typecast them and then what had happened is that over the years of me doing technical writing and technical seminars and books and everything technical and believe me i love technical stuff love engines love machinery but there's more depth to me by god's grace than that and I love, uh, obviously, if you have been an all-time listener, you know my heart really belongs to animals above anything else. People think I'm a car guy, a hot rod farmer. I'm really an animal guy. Animals of all type. The good Lord made it. I love it. But anyway, but I also love people, and I love people's stories. And after I started the Idle Chatter podcast, I said to myself, you know, here it is again, I'm going to be just Ray, the technical guy. Hey, Ray, how much should I set my valves at? And that's all fun. I love that. And I'm honored by those questions. But I think that there's more to life than that. And what I wanted to do was always, what I wanted to do was start the On the Road show, which I did. And my first guest was my good friend, Rob, R-O-B, Ida who is the son of Bob, B-O-B, Ida, so it gets to be a little bit confusing. But anyway, uh, Rob was my first guest, so if you scroll all the way back to uh, On the Road to Rob Ida, he did a wonderful, wonderful job on that show. And as I tell everyone who is a guest on that show, is that it is my show, but it is your episode. I don't know your life story. Only you can make your... I don't want to say make it great. I mean, not fabricated, but only you could tell your life story. I don't know your life story. Even people, even somebody like Rob, who I've been friend, friends with for over 20 years, I learned so much about him on that on that episode. My friend Gene Worst also, I did an episode with him and learned a lot. But the original impetus was to have a show with people that are passionate. And as I say in the intro to that show, passionate either about farming or firing orders. And firing orders is broad-based. I did that because it was catchy, but meaning farming or machinery. But that wouldn't have sounded so catchy, right? Farming, either farming or machinery. Firing orders sounds catchier. And uh, so it's car people or farmers or people that are involved with both. And and like uh, lots of times we've had people that were passionate about both of them, both of those areas. And the reason being for that is that if you look deep within my soul, what I wanted to do 
was I wanted to inspire the audience to aspire to something. And you don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be a doctor. You can, I mean, this world today puts puts titles on people and, and then puts them in boxes and say, okay, everybody wants this, their child to grow up and be a doctor or a lawyer. And that, there's nothing, certainly nothing wrong with that. The world needs that. But we need farmers. We need mechanics. We need plumbers. We need pilots. We need truck drivers. I mean, we uh, so we need welders, right? We need electricians. Oh, there's so many things that we need in life beyond that. And as long as you are in your life where the good Lord wants you, then you will be successful. And success is a very broad-based word. What one person's success is is another person's failure or vice versa. But the whole idea is that you want to be successful in life. And my qualifier, and and the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's the impetus for that that podcast on the road, is that you know, when life is said and done, will you hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant, and that you've done the best that you could with what the good Lord gave you, the opportunities he gave you, you've done the best you could do with the people you've interacted with, that you, you did your job, whether your job is putting stuff in a box at the end of an assembly line, that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, that's wonderful, and you did the best, you didn't put it in a box, cockeyed or bend it, so whatever so that's so i wanted to inspire people to aspire to a something and whatever that something is is that's fine it makes no difference it doesn't have to be glamorous so uh and then so i was i was very very uh picky to who i would put on that show because you get some of these shows and some of them run satellite radio and and you you kind of know who i'm talking about and without me mentioning names and if the person fogs a mirror they put them on the show i don't do that all right all right everybody's story is different one mate one it's not pitting one person against other your story's not as good as this other guy no it's you have to be passionate you have to have values and you have to uh inspire people in some way shape or form with your story because that's really what life is all about so with that little uh probably caveat that i'm attaching to this that i am expanding i'm not changing the concept of the on the road by no means the intro is going to stay the same uh farming and firing orders but i'm going to break out of the box on occasion and i'm going to feature people that are passionate all right maybe not a hundred percent within that vein but are passionate or have a life's story or life's experience that could very easily be translated to the entire audience. And that's one thing about being an engineer, being a writer. You have to look out of your own out of your own territory. You have to look out of your own community to get inspiration and see how somebody else does something. And you may look at, let's say, you may be building engines. Then you may look at a printing press and say, wow, look how they attach that. Look how they put that bearing on there. I'm making it up. All right. And those are the people that are truly, truly successful. And as I've said in the a while back have found their own voice in life so without any further ado i'm just going to give you a little bit of a heads up of the upcoming episodes that i have scheduled so far and we're going to do these hopefully roll them out over the next couple of months because i can't i don't want to bombard you there's you have more in your life to do than to listen to my shows and rightfully so so we're going to have mr dave head his name is pronounced H A A D like your head, and uh, but it's it's pronounced but spelled H E D T. He is the founder creator of the walkabout mother bin, uh, which is a concept for harvest to help speed along harvest. And from Australia, he's originally from Australia, and he uh, moved to the United States, and he's making these these mother bins it's really a very very interesting concept and i know that you'll enjoy the show with him he talks about kangaroos he talks about growing up in australia where he grew up in very rural australia in a town called dimbula which is aborigine aborigine he told me aboriginal descent that's what the name comes from that they used to bring their guns to school on a school bus 
So uh, it was a very interesting, very interesting story. It's uh, it comes it talks a little bit about the mother bin, but like I said, these stories are not meant to be advertisements for somebody's product. They are meant to be and uh, that how the person got there, right? The story of their life, and it's uh, that'll be that'll be dropping probably very shortly. And I'll give you a heads up, right? Is that he ended up marrying Miss South Dakota <laughs> from the. Uh, uh, Miss America pageant. So, uh, but she had to give him her phone number three times before he called her. So, it's <laughs> a it's a funny part of the, funny part of the story. But Dave had, and the next, which is breaking out of the box, then that's why I gave you that precursor. As I'm going to have my first female guest. I've had a female guest before, but they were always a wife to a husband that was the that was the on the show. So it was a husband and wife team. But this is the first female guest, and her name is it's shortened. Her, her, I'll say her stage name, for lack of better terms, uh, is Bree, B-R-E-I Carter, like Jimmy Carter, the president. And she's an up-and-coming new country singer. And you say, well, you know, Hot Rod, why do you got a country singer on here for? Well, she grew up in the country. Well, maybe I'm pushing, you know, pushing that as saying, you know, farming and firing orders. But um, she has a very, very interesting story. And she has a new album out, a new video out. You could check out her video, just do Brie Carter. And like it's a it's a uh, it's called Brand New Country. Check out the video. I thought she did a fantastic job. So it's Brie B R E I Carter, and her video is Brand New Country. Like I say, Brand New Car, Brand New Country. And uh, I thought it was very very well done. But the point, the reason why I'm bringing her on, is because she's a woman of God, and she like everybody. When you see somebody in any in anything you think that they uh, you don't know their journey and i want i'm she's going to talk about her journey through life that brought her that's culminating now in the music industry and how she's an independent artist and all the obstacles that she's facing in the music industry but the important thing is that you can say i don't care i raise a weed i don't care about the music industry but then again it's a life story it's because we all we all deal with obstacles in our life and uh so that's what it's about it's going to be about brie carter the woman who is trying to make it in the country music business who also happens to be a woman of god and a devout christian and the struggles that she had and then i'm asking you to listen and then take that and use that as an example well yeah she had different struggles than you have or i have or what have you but it's that same that same walk. You know, it's funny how in life our walk is the same but different. So that is breaking out of the mold, right? And then breaking out of the mold, well, quasi-breaking out of the mold because he's a car guy. I'm going to have Mr. Jeffrey Mondell on. And this is going to be a very special, unique, on-the-road podcast because if you've been listening or you're a follower of, of the show and maybe you've missed that one or what have you. Uh, Jeff is in prison. He's in Trenton State Prison, and he has almost a 30-year sentence. He's a little bit more than 20 years into his sentence. Uh, he did not hurt anyone, all right? No one got hurt, uh, and we, he, we, we became friends, and uh, he wrote a letter to me at Hemming's Muscle Machines, my Ask Ray column, and I responded to him, and we'll tell a story. I'm not gonna. You may, some of you may have heard the story, but anyway, is that Jeff had expressed a desire to me to be, able, and he's a car guy. I mean, he was a car guy. He had an 11 second Grand National, had a Cobra Mustang. I mean, so he's a car guy. He's 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 a good guy. He said, "Well, he's a good guy. He's in jail." Well, yeah, he made a mistake. But Jeff, we talk twice a week on the telephone, and he's able to call me from the prison and at uh, 15 minute int- intervals but my telephone number has to go through a certain thing and be registered and checked out with the prison i guess they want to make sure you're not calling a porn line or something but anyway uh and he's he's expressed a desire not to come on a podcast because honestly he doesn't even know what a podcast is because he's been in jail before they really became popular so how but one of 
a burning desire in his heart and in his soul is to not have someone make the same stupid mistake that he did and throw away their life. So uh, that's what it's about. So we're gonna, it's going to be recorded. I'm going to be doing it over the telephone through the prison system. You're going to hear everything. You, there's this whole system you have to go through, and uh, and we're going it, to. It, it's going to be as as live as could be without me being in prison. And thankfully, by God's grace that I contacted the Department of Correction of New Jersey, had to go through some a certain amount of people, and they were very gracious, and I had to tell them what I wanted to do. I think they checked me out, to be quite honest with you. I gave them a lot of information on me, and just the other day, I got approval that the, that the podcast has been authorized and that they would like a copy of the show, the audio, before it gets posted, and I'm sure that that's going to be 100% fine. But Rack, but Jeff's whole mission and my mission with that is that to have somebody listening that is going down the wrong path in life and Jeff's experience in prison. And as Jeff says, and I don't want to steal the thunder from his show, is that you have to realize that you don't just go to prison. Your family and your loved ones go to prison also with you. So that is going to be upcoming, God willing, relatively shortly. And then I have Sherry Schaefer, and she is, uh, well, after Bree, she'll be my second woman on the show, and she is actually the publisher of the Heritage Iron and Oliver Heritage magazine. She owns a company called Three Point Inc., and she is a, a gearhead extraordinaire. Right, so she, to her knowledge, her historic knowledge about farm tractors is uh, barring none, is, is is probably in the top top five in the world, and uh, and she's also a licensed aircraft mechanic. She's a pilot. She has a whole bunch of interesting, interesting background. So Sherry wants to be on the show, so we're going to do an episode with her. And then we're going to be doing an episode with a longtime listener and friend of the show, and, and they have a wonderful story because they're a young couple. They've only been married. They're coming up on their wedding, one-year wedding anniversary, and they both both of their families have farms, and they're starting their own farm. And also the young man has a tire business, fixing farm tires and truck tires, and that's, that's Evan and Katie Scherzer. And they're from Pennsylvania. So Evan and Katie Schertz are from Pennsylvania. And then another longtime listener, Mike Werner from up in Caledonia, Minnesota. We're going to be doing an episode with him. And uh, I kind of mentioned him a little bit on a, in a letter that I read, I think, in last week's show. And Mike uh, was not born blind, but suffered a, uh, a heart attack as a very young man, which starved i guess the blood to his optic nerve i may have that wrong he'll tell the story and went blind later in life and uh, he's a man of faith he's uh he's a car guy machinery guy farmer he's a, i mean so he's also all those boxes are checked but it's a but we're gonna mike is so gracious to want to come on the show and uh talk about his trials that he's gone through in his, in his life and how his faith and uh has held him together because that's a horrific thing to be able to lose your eyesight later on in life have a farm have a family have a job i believe mike was in the banking industry so really is um, it's going to be a blessing to be able to hear his story and then last but not least and this is not the last of the on the roads it's the last ones that i have you know listed right now and hopefully uh you know we get to do some more is Mr. Jason Feldman out in Long Island. And Jason uh, Jason is a, is a good friend of mine, salt of the earth guy. He's out in Long Island, but his father-in-law has a farm in, in Iowa. So he has, it's very unique to be a Long Island farm, conne- farm connection. But we're putting Jason into the box of car guy. So he's the firing order type of guy. Now, Jason loves to he loves cars, uh, and he has a bunch of collector cars, and he's 
uh, he does some mechanical work on them, but his passion is detailing and cleaning and polishing. And, and I don't want to say polish. I mean, he's a, he's a extraordinary, actually became his business. He's a very, very, uh, I'm going to use the word high end, meaning high end cars. And, uh, and from what I understand and, uh, from what I know is that Jason is, is, if not world renowned, North America renowned in his uh, car detailing abilities. So it's not going to be a podcast about how to how to buff out your your Camaro. It, what it's going to be, it's going to be it's a a diff, different aspect of of being passionate about something and passionate to passionate to such a level that Jason is about car detailing and cleaning and paint preparation. And he's going to tell the story of how he got there and uh, the story of his life. So it's going to be very, 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 very excited to hear his story along with everybody else's. So now that is where we are at 20 minutes into the show. But I invite anyone that you know or yourself that if you have fit into one of those categories, I would love to reach out to you and uh, see if you're a possible candidate for an on-the-road show. And you say, candidate, they are insulting me. I'm not, I'm not meaning to insult anybody whatsoever because I know that, if, that everyone's story and, uh, and uh, everybody has a story. Every, it, no, no, no one story is pitting against another. But what I have found is that the person has a story, but they can't tell it. So I'm saying that respectfully. Have a wonderful story, and uh, you'd be surprised. Lots of times, and I said this before, and, and I'm not using myself as a, as an example, but when you stick a microphone in front of somebody, uh, lots of times it falls apart. All right. So I've had uh, there's wonderful people I know, but uh, to to get the story out of them would be like, ooh, uh, yes, no maybe i like that <laughs> so obviously and i'm not saying that that's uh, i'm not you know they have to say oh, it makes good tv or it makes good radio well i'm not saying that but you have to be able to to tell your story you don't have to speak in the king's english but you have to tell your story and you have to uh be able to do that so if i if i don't put someone on then uh that's the only reason why and please no offense it's not that i'm saying your, your story is not good enough by no means i love to hear everyone's story so uh that basically is it so i'm going to get a drink of water here for a second and then we're going to go in today's at uh, today's topic all right which is a little bit more than telling stories but you know that i love every aspect of agriculture that I have one foot in agriculture and one, you know, farming and the other foot in engines, machinery, what have you. So I listen to a lot to a lot of agricultural radio shows and and uh, you know I'm just like you. I'm a consumer of of a lot of different content and uh, I listen to uh, these these Canadian this Canadian guy up in well, obviously he's up in Canada if he's a Canadian guy, um, Sean Haney, and uh, I've mentioned him before on the show. And he doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. Uh, I don't believe he does. Uh, I don't think he does. I sent him an email. He never responded, which I'm not being judgmental of that. But because I could do that also, could get lost or what have you. But he has a show called Real Agriculture, and it's on Sirius XM also. But it's a daily show, not uh, not a weekend show. And lots of and I, I his show I I think play uh, airs 4:30 in the afternoon 4:30 to 5:30 it's an hour show my show on Sirius is a half hour and he has a, uh, a re-air or encore just like my radio show is uh, has a re-air on su- Sundays at six o'clock and it's on it premieres Saturday at 11 a.m and the reason why I do that is for two different time slots so that you could get uh it's a big north america is big and satellite goes all around north america so if you have somebody in california then or the west coast and or western canada that it gives them the opportunity to listen and i've been blessed because they and i mean that sincerely excuse me that serious uh rural radio channel 147 the rural media group has uh 
has, uh, you're right from the bat, has given me uh, an encore date as a weekend show because a lot of weekend shows don't have that. So, and I don't know whether they'll take that away from me. I mean, it's their prerogative to do that, obviously. But whatever, I'm very blessed and grateful to have it. So anyway, Sean Haney's show, <coughs> Real Agriculture, has a re-air every morning at uh, 7 a.m. So lots of times I catch that little bit, maybe 15 or 20 minutes of that in the morning and uh, in the car. And if I'm on the road traveling, I'll usually catch a show when it does the premiere the afternoon before, but whatever. So the other day they were talking, they had a guest on there, and I won't belabor this and go into every detail because it makes no difference to you. And I do have a habit of doing that, is that they had a guest on there and they were talking about this thing called yen. And I'm saying, yen, 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 you know, what the heck is, you know, yen, that's Japanese money, money is yen, what are they talking about? Well, what it was, was an acronym for Yield Enhancement Network, and it's a group of farmers or an association, it's almost like, you know, they're like these national corn growers, but I think yen is a little bit more dynamic and, 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 uh, than that, the national corn growers. That just seems like a, an association that just that meant for you to just to recognize high yield corn farmers. But uh, you know, I haven't seen much more from that than that. And I'm not saying that's bad. But but yen yen is my type of organization because it's about learning and it's about sharing. Whereas in corn growers, they, it's almost like a race. Everybody goes and does their own thing, and whoever wins wins. And this guy's the the uh, the, the the you know the, the highest yield this year in all these different categories, like drag racing, right? So, uh, whereas the yen network, uh, one of the criteria for yen uh, is, and I believe it's only focused on wheat. So if there's, I'm sure there's wheat growers out there, so you may want to look into it, and. Uh, is that you sign into this Yen Network and there's a bunch of protocols that you have to agree to and you have to share your data. So whereas corn growers, national corn growers and soybean growers, what have you, is like drag racing where you go over there and say, okay, you won, you, hey, God, God bless you, you got the trophy, you won, but you're not going over there telling how you set your cam, how you did this, what your valve lift is. No, you're just saying you won. And whereas Yen is different, so it's like it's like this show, it's like my podcast, my radio show, it's a transfer of knowledge. And everybody who gets in there, and they also look at things through a different dynamic. They look at it at profitability, whereas most of the growers' associations looks yield, 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 yield. So that's like going to a diner going, horsepower, 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 whereas, you know, specifically, like in drag racing, you know, horsepower is one thing, but the chassis's got to work, the tire's got to stick, or the transmission has to be right, the torque converter, whatever has to be right. So you, we, as we always say, we don't race dinos. So uh, so the yen group looks at things a little bit differently, and it looks at profitability and not just, um, not just 100% yield. And also what it does, and I don't know how long, I think it came from Europe or Australia, the yen group, uh, is that they look at the potential, the percentage of potential. And, I've, and I only found out about this yen group about a week ago. And what, uh, <clears throat> what it uh, does is, is that it looks at the potential from the seed. And I guess no one really knows the potential from the seed. Uh, we kind of find out the potential from the seed when we get yield. And, but I've always made that correlation because I look at a high-yield farmer as like an engine with a high level of volumetric efficiency. And volumetric efficiency with an engine is the amount of cylinder fill you have. So the thing is that if you have, a let's say, a 300-cubic-inch engine, if you're using all of those 300-cubic inches, all right, then you have, as far as cylinder fill, that, you're so, that the volume of your cylinder fill is 300-cubic-inches, then you're at 100% volumetric efficiency. If you're above that, then you're you know 101, 100, 500, 10, 115%. And that's really the, the the premise behind supercharging or turbocharging. And that's also the premise behind modern engines, variable cam timing, variable intake, runner manifold length, and all these different things that come into play. So the thing is that I always made that association and said, you know, and I and I'm not saying by no means am I saying that I'm the it was the impetus for yen or what have you, 
but I looked at it, and I, as I've said before on this show, I see so many parallels between, you know, building an engine for the highest performance and high-yield farming. Yeah, you're not talking about camshafts. You're talking about maybe uh, milk production from a cow or yield production from a crop or what have you. So I really like that association, and I'm using that as a segue into what I'm going to be talking about today. And, you know, and what I'm going to be talking about is getting the yen, all right, the yield enhancement network. So let's call it, let's call it H, horsepower enhancement network or drivability or performance enhancement network from all of your engines. And what I'm going to focus on today is older engines, older carbureted engines, the forgotten, and people call them dinosaurs, but I know there's a lot of people, a lot of listeners in the audience that have older carbureted engines. They may have an older carbureted engine in a grain truck. They may have a carbureted engine, may not even be old, on a zero-turn lawnmower. They may have an old farm tractor. They may have a, a, a collector car or a muscle car or a boat right, or anything in between. The, the, the audience in the agricultural community, and specifically on this show, is so eclectic as far as the machinery that they have. And then oftentimes these older engines especially if you have a young person coming up on the farm and you want to teach them about it that the older engines um it's like trying to to uh, to to get someone to fix or work on and get properly a a, a a tv a tv with tubes in it or a tube radio versus transistors so that's what we're going to talk about briefly today <clears throat> excuse me so it's going to be like a combination of, you know, the, the yield enhancement network, but it's not going to be yields. We get those things to run right. And, you know, you can get them to run right and they could run spectacularly. So what I'm going to talk about is a couple of different areas and and you could take it and uh, application specific. Like I always say, that's the engineering, you know, uh, that's, that's the engineering caveat or application specific, right? And uh, so put to, to the engines and things that you have, uh, that you own, all right? So the first thing <clears throat> that I want to talk about, and I've beat this to death so many times, um, is carburetors. And I just want to give you a brief, a brief tutorial on a carburetor, a carburetor's function, and... Um, what you need to do to make it run. I'm not talking about building a drag race engine and taking taking a carburetor, a Holley Dominator, and taking it apart and changing the air bleeds and the emulsion orifices and all that. No, no, no. I'm talking about you have an engine in front of you, all right? What you need to do to maintain that carburetor, adjust that carburetor, keep that carburetor running properly. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go from carburetors into distributors, all right? So, and then we'll probably, by then, I'll probably be way over my time limit <laughs> that, that you are allowing me. So, the first thing is that very brief tutorial, excuse me, <clears throat> is that a carburetor, <clears throat> I don't care what it's on, whether it's on a weed whacker or a, a, a 426 Hemi or a in, in, a, in a 67 GTX, or it's on an Oliver tractor, all right, well, I'm saying Oliver, because Sherry, who's going to be on the show, is a real Oliver fan, all right, or whatever it may be, the carburetor doesn't know what it's on, you may say, well, it knows what it's on, because it looks different, well, it looks different to fit that application, but the way it functions on the pressure differential, all right, of the, the fuel in the float, the, the pressure of the fuel of the atmosphere and the fuel in the float pole, and then the pressure in some sort of venturi inside that carburetor. The low pressure region is what has the fuel flow. So, the first thing that I'm basic tutorial, all right, is that a carburetor needs to be clean and tight. And what I mean by tight is that it has to be tight to the intake manifold. Right, it has to, and the fasteners that hold a carburetor together, no matter no matter how many piece carburetor it could be a two piece, could be a three piece carburetor. All right, needs to be tight and and tight. I, let me put it this way: needs to be snug. 
and the gasket between the parts of the carburetor to come apart, the main body, the flow pole, the metering blocks, the air horn, whatever it has, all right, those need to be sound. They need to be able to seal. So the thing is that what you want, and, and when you have a carburetor, specifically an, an older t- type of carburetor because it was made from pot metal or white metal, they used to call it. I'm not a metallurgist, all right? It was very easy to warp. And so the thing is that when you go around, you need to tighten the bolts to the intake manifold, and then you need to also snug up the bolts that hold the carburetor together. That's part of your maintenance. I don't care whether it's a weed whacker or not. You need to go and you need to maintain that because if that carburetor is loose or sucking air, it is going to skew everything. And if you have any weepage around the float ball area, depending upon the carburetor design, then usually that's either an indicator that the carburetor is, that part of the carburetor is loose, or more likely that that gasket already has been compromised and you don't go in there and try to moose that thing, all right? Because all you're going to do is warp that carburetor. Once you warp that carburetor, all bets are off on what's going to happen. Especially if you had an, had a carburetor like a Holly style design with a side hung float bowl, and there's all different types out there, all right? But side hung float bowl, if that gasket is compromised, and you then you go and you tighten that. My old Slant Six Chrysler had a 1920. Uh, well, they all had. I shouldn't say they all had. They basically had 1920 Holly carburetors. Some early Slant Sixes had a Carter, and some later ones had two barrel Carter Carters. But they, the 1920 had a side hung float bowl, and it was very common for that float bowl gasket to start to deteriorate and weep and then the person would take a screw there was four screws that held and they would get the biggest screwdriver they can there was a phillips head screw on there if i remember correctly and they would tighten it up and because of this pot metal whatever you want to call it you would actually bow the float ball and it would start to he would solve the leak that day and it would start to leak more because you were actually actually bowing out the float ball and having it move away from the gasket and once you warp those float balls that's it's no good it's over buddy it's over and if you have a multi-piece carburetor so it has a main body and a throttle bo- a throttle body that goes on to the top of like the quadrajet and you warp that and you warp that that air horn uh they act not the throttle but the air horn throttle bodies on the bottom you 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 warp that air horn it's all over all right that thing is that thing is going to leak and it's going to cause problems and depending upon the design of the carburetor there may be emulsion passages and emulsion is where the fuel and air is mixed there may be air bleeds so you you don't if it needs a gasket it needs a gasket you don't just keep snugging up so you want to you want to make the bolts to the carburetor to the manifold tight and you want to make the other bolts snug and if there's any signs of leakage you need to take that carburetor apart and re-gasket it not moose it home all right the other thing that you need to do is you need to make sure that as many of the intake manifold to cylinder head bolts regardless of what it is that you could get to are nice and snug and tight because it's very common from thermal cyclings from age for that gasket to relax and for that start to leak air on one or two intake manifold runners then you would have a problem that no matter you could adjust the carburetor and change carburetors till the good lord comes back and if you have an intake manifold runner leaking air then that cylinder is always going to be lean or multiple cylinders depending upon the manifold design the next thing with a carburetor you want to look you want to look at <clears throat> the area of the of the main body where or it could be the throttle body itself depending upon the design where the throttle shaft goes through if you see telltale signs of a varnish stain which means that's gasoline even today's gas will make a varnish type of stain it won't have the level of varnish that it did years ago but it'll make a varnish type of stain if you see any varnish stain there and it's just around the throttle shaft then those throttle bushings are leaking and if those throttle bushings are leaking you're sucking air in there 
and it's going to skew everything on the carburetor's function because you have to remember that is the because the carburetor works backwards. What I mean backwards is that the the pistons pumping create a low pressure region, which anything less than atmospheric pressure is, a, is called a vacuum, and then the float bowl is have being exposed to to. Uh, barometric pressure so it's pushing the fuel and so if you so that's like having a leak in the garden hose what you're basically doing is if you have a leak there that you're weakening that signal and depending upon how where the leak is and to what what point it is but a telltale sign so for you to be an experienced carburetor man and you look at it and you see that there's discoloration and there's a varnish type of form filming forming around the throttle shaft bushing and that carburetor's throttle shaft bushing is worn and that that is causing a problem that you you could you cannot tune out with a pair with a screwdriver and the mixture screws all right now the other thing is that you need to know your carburetors because if it's a multi-piece carburetor if it's let's say if it's a three-piece carburetor like an old rochester 2g using those for example the throttle body which is the part with the throttle plates all right attached to the main body with screws from the bottom it was very common with that particular design for the screws from the bottom to loosen up so the screws on the top were tight but the screws on the bottom would loosen up and then you would have an air leak between the main body of the carburetor and the throttle body even though it was tight to the intake manifold and that would skew everything so you need to know your carburetors and i don't care what it's on or you need to see whether you know is this a carburetor with the throttle body bolts on and the screws are underneath so you have to you have to look at that and you also have to be be a, a detective and you have to see okay if there's any signs of any staining here for from varnishing then we have a leak site and you have to identify where that leak site is is the leak site at the gasket or is the leak site above it and then the and the gasoline fumes are falling down and it has this it has a stain like a pipe dripping down the side of a wall so you have to you can't be oblivious to this so the 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 the, the cleanliness of the carburetor's external components is a very good indicator of what's going on the next thing is that you want to keep every carburetor clean and i always use this term carburetor you know carburetor cleanliness is next to godliness so you want to keep the outside of the carburetor clean and you want to keep the carburetor clean down into the throttle bores the uh, the main body and you could do this with a good carburetor cleaner without taking the carburetor apart because if you look inside that carburetor and open up the choke plate and if it depending upon if it's a four barrel or secondary or whatever you're going to see a whole bunch of little pinholes in there and passageways and those are air bleeds and it's very common for them even if they don't get plugged with dirt if they build up varnish on the air bleeds in the carburetor that's just as effective as a piece of dirt blocking it as far as changing the characteristics of the way the carburetor functions so the thing is that you don't you you want to keep that all clean and wash that with carburetor cleaner you could spray in there with if it has a, the tube on the carburetor spray carburetor and clean that all in and out and you want to make sure that that's all nice and clean and kept clean i mean you could every once in a while you open it up you spray in there clean everything if you have a four barrel <clears throat> excuse me you want to do that on the secondary side also because the, a, a good portion of the secondary side on a carburetor functions the same way as the primary side does and some carburetors you probably you won't see and like i said it makes no difference if there was well, not a four barrel on a on a farm tractor but but the same the same premise whether it's updraft or downdraft or side draft that all is 100 percent the same premise so you want to make sure that that's clean and then you want to keep that clean snug tight and clean is the way to go the other thing basically is that when you're getting ready to adjust the carburetor adjust the mixture the first procedure would be 
to take the mixture screws out and clean them. But before you do that, what you should do is gently seat them and count the number of turns where they are right now. So that doesn't mean that you're going to leave it there, but that's going to be your starting point. All right. So the thing is that if you go and you say, okay, so you take it and you have to be, and that's a needle valve into a seat. So you just want to gently seat that. You're like ramming that thing in there because you'll wreck the seat in the carburetor. That's not the. That's, oh geez, Faith just knocked, knocked all the all the all the water over. Okay, thank God she knocked it. So it's all. <laughs> I guess the cats, the cats woke up. My pants are sopping wet, but thank God the, uh, thank God the uh, the machine that the podcasting equipment didn't get wet in a microphone. I that came out of nowhere. Sorry about that, but anyway so you want to seat it so it's okay they're about two and a quarter turns out two turns out whatever and then you take the mixture screw out there's going to be a spring on it to keep tension on it and uh you want to clean you want to take your carburetor cleaner and spray in that passage and you want to so it goes out into the into the uh venturi and clean it out and you also want to spray and clean the mixture screw and if it's and look at the look at the tip on the mixture screw you want to be very gentle with this you don't want to erode it you want to be very very gentle with this and you may take a very soft scotch bright or you're not going to take sandpaper and you're going to want to clean that up so it's nice and shiny and clean and then you're going to put those mixture screws back in the same spot and then you're going to adjust the to adjust the carburetor afterwards all right so the other thing basically is that you want to be very familiar with your choke circuit on your carburetor all right if is it a hand choke is the choke closing all the way is it is it a is it an automatic choke then you want to see how that choke closes and you want to be able to also <clears throat> look at that the choke pull off what some people call it a vacuum break the choke pull off and you want to see whether the choke has um, most older chokes had a spring tension adjustment and some of the chokes had a hot <clears throat> excuse me a hot air tube that went into the choke housing and that's how the choke the spring would release some had an electric choke more modern ones so you want to look at that and you also want to look at a lot of carburetors had if it was a four barrel had a specifically quadrajets but others had it they had a um what what they call it uh a, a cold blockout that's not the term that they called it that if that there was a little lever there if the choke spring was still slightly engaged is that it would it would block out the secondary so the secondaries won't open so if you have a lack of performance let's say you have an old grain truck and it's got a four barrel carburetor four barrel carburetor on it then the thing is that and you say this thing is a, is a dog well maybe because the secondaries are an opening because the choke plate is not a hundred percent opening it can't be just good enough that's supposed to be straight up and down if it's got a little angle uh, onto it so it's called a secondary lockout lever that's what it was called uh secondary and that was evoked by the choke so if the choke spring is not fully releasing or it's gummed up there you got to clean the outside of the carburetor just like the inside then the fact of the matter is is that that's going to be just as imperative to get it to run right and you have to remember that if that choke plate is opening slightly then what's going to happen is that it's going to affect your mixture so you're going to be trying to adjust the mixture screws with a skewed skewed air fuel ratio from the choke plate all right affecting the uh the the um the signal in the in the carburetor and keep in mind faith got me uh i'm basically sopping what i had a big glass of water here and uh my pants are wet my socks are wet everything but uh it's all right we love her so the thing is that uh keep you know uh I, you know keep in mind i lost my train of thought i'm i'm, I'm sorry is that you that the way a choke works people think it's choking like you're choking somebody ah, you want to murder them right the choke a choke actually impacts the vacuum signal that's exposed to the venturi's the vent that's created in the venturi the carburetor so actually it's a vacuum signal multiplier 
It's not really that it's choking off the airflow. It is intrinsically choking off the airflow. But when a, a hand choke is the same way. All right, you have an old farm tractor with a hand choke. Uh, the thing is that when you pull that choke out, what you're doing is you're multiplying and magnifying the vacuum signal in the venturi of that carburetor for it to pull more fuel. And then if you have an automatic choke, it's doing that. And then as it opens up the automatic choke, uh, same thing with a hand choke, we have to push it in with your hand, is that you're leaning the air-fuel ratio. You're not actually leaning the air-fuel ratio. You're weakening the additional amplification of vacuum. And then once the choke is open, then the engine is running and the carburetor is functioning on straight vacuum low pressure created by the pistons without any amplification of it that's a simple way for me to say it for this show all right so you have to keep that in mind and if you have an automatic choke you have an old muscle car with an automatic choke on it right and uh you have an old grain truck let me just put it this way if you have the choke in the carburetor set properly you could start that thing at 10 degrees below zero 20 f 20 degrees below zero and it'll start and run and it'll be able to drive away without hesitation or anything the whole idea of people thinking that's the way they was that's the way they were they were not that way no engineer designed the carburetor that's going to have to sit there for 10 minutes before you drive it away all right or five minutes or what have you then that's just like a picket fence stand of corn is an indicative of how well the planter is working how well it's set and the and the seed bed preparation well a cold drive away with a choke on any engine is 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 that is that indicator of how good you have it set how good it's functioning so you know keep that in mind is that that all is going to come into play all right so you have to look at that choke and and the older ones the older carburetors and a lot of well i say newer meaning whatever they haven't made them for years right they'll have an adjustment and if it says r or l with an arrow sometimes you just say r then l would be would be the opposite of that without an arrow right for the rotation of the choke spring and r means richer so that means that it's really not richer it's really extending the length of time that the choke is going to stay fully evoked it's going to it's going to open up slower all right and if you go to l towards l it's going to open up quicker right so and the other thing is that if you have an engine that's loading up during uh after it starts then the choke pull off a vacuum diaphragm they, they some people call a choke break well some manufacturers did is not functioning and not opening up that choke plate because what happens is that the function of the vacuum diaphragm is to open up the choke plate and it's evoked by the by the by the vacuum in the engine but also what's called blow off that the fast idle that the speed of the air is going to blow it open against spring tension so what you're taking is that backlash out so you're opening the choke plate against spring tension to give the engine air to run and then it's going to be pushing against the spring tension with the choke pull off so that there's no looseness or floppiness and the rate of opening the angle the opening angle is in lockstep is how it's designed so if you have an engine that starts fine cold and then a couple of minutes later it's going (laughs) chugging and blowing black smoke all right that's your choke pull off angle your choke pull off diaphragm and usually what happens is the diaphragm gets expanded sometimes it gets a hole in it and does nothing but usually expands from age and being exposed to gasoline fumes and it will it will be very it'll be um it'll be sloppy it won't have the full deflection of movement all right so that's very very important uh so all of that comes together so you may have a a carburetor runs beautifully uh when the engine is warmed up you may have a carburetor runs beautifully cold starts beautifully but doesn't doesn't warm up cleanly and has a drivability problem so it's like anything it's just like you would have a crop that well the crop has this problem or that crop has that problem all right so the thing basically is that uh it's very important for you to identify but what you also need to uh, to recognize is that a carburetor is a building block approach so it's just like planting a crop and raising a crop if you could have the best fertility you could have this that if you have compaction of the soil if you have a poor poor quality seed bed that's that's uh 
that you're planted into. If you have poor weed control, all right? So if you put this all together, and that's going back to yen, right? Yield Enhancement Network. Well, this is going to be Engine Carburetor Enhancement Network today in the show. And now to keep in mind is that when you adjust the mixture on a carburetor, that it is a balancing act between the throttle angle for the throttle speed so the air the air fuel ratio and the pressure drop across the carburetor and what is the pressure drop is from the air intake system so if you have an air cleaner lid on it or if an air cleaner you the most accurate way to adjust the carburetor any carburetor is through the system it's going to breathe on breathe through not breathe on all right so if you have the air cleaner off and you're adjusting the carburetor well you're gonna mod, you're gonna tweak that pressure differential slightly once you put that car that air cleaner on and if you also have the idle speed up too high or too low what you're doing is the idle speed screw is opening up the throttle plates but it's also exposing what is called a transfer slot in a carburetor and specifically in a tractor carburetor automotive style carburetor so that so if you have too much or too little of the transfer slot that is exposed then it's going to impact that whole that whole operation meaning the fuel flow through the carburetor and all the circuits are not going to function properly i'll leave it at that so the idle speed and the amount of throttle angle is very important and that's why there's a correlation between the idle speed all right and the the timing the distributed timing and hopefully we get to talk about that a little bit but the proper way to adjust the carburetor is to use a tack with a lot of resolution not a sun tack for you you older hot rod guys on the on the steering column with a lot of resolution and what you're basically going to do and if it's an automatic engine transmission i like to to chalk the wheels put bricks on it put the emergency brake on and adjust it in drive because that's the pressure differential that the carburetor is actually going to see and what you're going to do is you're going to make love to those mixture screws you're going to first bring your engine idle speed more or less where where it's supposed to be and then you're going to take you have your mixture screws balanced and you're going to turn them in an eighth of a turn and wait one screw at a time turn an eighth of a turn and then wait and look at the tack you're going to adjust for the highest rpm people there's an old wives tale use vacuum gauge vacuum gauge is not sensitive enough it does not have enough response it doesn't have enough resolution you're not going to be able to really fine-tune a carburetor adjusting with a vacuum gauge at that particular point you're probably better off just doing it by ear so what you're going to do is you're going to turn the mixture screw and you're going to let the engine stabilize why do you need to turn it and wait that okay lady you're so adjusted all right the thing is that because that fuel and air mixture has to go from the carburetor through the intake manifold through the cylinder head all right into all of the cylinders and then the engine is the right it's going to be the yen the yield and the yield network right the yield enhancement the engine the firing events we spoke about combustion a few shows back is going to respond to that mixture it's not it's not a real time where you just take it and you're spraying it has that whole travel time and it has to purge itself so that's why you want to tweak it and then wait tweak it and wait you're not waiting an hour you're waiting and you want to see and then you want to do the other side side of the carburetor and then what's going to happen is that now you're going to look back at your mix at your idle speed because if the carburetor was misadjusted before now let's say if you wanted a 700 rpm idle speed all right and now it's up to 850 all right so the thing is that because you you got you made so much efficiency yield enhancement right you're getting so much more efficiency from the engine because of the carburetor mixtures right so now you have to back down the throttle stop screw the idle speed screw but then you have to let it stabilize and go through that whole procedure again so the thing basically is you want to turn the mixture screw in as i said you're making love to it you're going to wait and you're going to go for your highest rpm now what you're going to find you're going to have to do aba testing what you're going to do is that you're going to say okay let's say you have it set at 600 feet your rhythm take your turn the mixture screw in a little bit a little bit you wait like i said and now you get up to 650 
All right, so now you're turning a little bit more and the RPM drops, let's say, down to 635. Then what I'm going to tell you to do is let it stabilize and go a 16th of a turn more because you'll find that it is, that's lots of times the air fuel ratio curve is not linear. And what it will basically do is you go a little bit more and now it'll pick up 60 RPM, even though it only dropped 20. So now you're, and then what you'll do is that you'll get to the point where it's going to be the highest RPM and then you turn it in another 16th of a turn and the RPM drops and stays there. All right. Then you know that that is, that you're past the sweet spot and then you bring it back. Maybe if you turn it eighth, maybe you turn a quarter of a turn and you sneak back on it and then you do both sides of the carburetor if it's a two barrel four barrel carburetor that way and then what you'll do is you'll look back at your idle speed then you'll and you may if you bring it down 25 or 30 or 40 at that particular point it's not going to make any difference all right you don't have to go back and readjust the carburetor because you'll be just doing it for the rest of your life then going back and forth but you need to keep that in mind and also you know if you have like i say if you have the timing way retarded or the timing off and you change the timing then you're going to need to be able to retweak that carburetor because they're bacon and eggs they go together as bacon and eggs and when we go to we're going to talk quickly about the distributor all right the thing is that if it's a points distributor all right you're going to need to make sure that those those that that cam on that the distributor cam is lubricated uh with the distributor cam lube a little bit just so the rubbing block on the points don't wear out prematurely and you need to uh obviously adjust the dwell on the points whether you're using a dwell meter or a feeler gauge and remember the dwell is the length of time in distributor rotation all right that the points are closed and the spark plug fires when the points break open so you have to also get in, into the into the distributor. And even if it's a farm tractor, it's the same thing. It's going to have a centrifugal advance. A farm tractor engine won't have a vacuum advance, but a lot of road engines from back years ago will have a vacuum and centrifugal advance. So you want to twist the rotor and see if the vacuum, if the, the centrifugal advance is working. And you also need to plot that with a timing light. You can say, okay, it's working. All right. And plot that with a timing light you need to look at the base timing and you need to re- rev the engine up and you need to plot the spark advance curve and keep re- revving it up all right until there's no more spark advance additional spark advance from that value and then you need to check that all right same thing with a farm tractor and lots of and on a farm track well on a on a street engine with a vacuum advance what's going to happen is the vacuum advance actually moves the breaker plate so if the breaker plate is seized underneath then the vacuum then it's not going to be able to move the move the the breaker plate at all and advance the timing so the whole idea is that you need to be able to look at this and you also need but you would need a scope for this but you could you could use a timing light and you want to look for timing variation hold the engine steady at about 2000 rpm that could be a farm tractor also and see if the timing is bouncing around if the timing is bouncing around at higher rpm it's it's moving all over the place then it's usually a worn bushing in the distributor or it could be a worn timing chain but it could be a combination of both on an older engine so then again you know it's it's with it's the carburetor all right and the ignition together so if you have a worn bushing in a distributor then it could be fine it could just skew a little bit at idle and now you bring the engine up to 2000 rpm and now the timing is bouncing around all over the place well remember that timing the ignition event is affecting the signal in the carburetor and now you're blaming the carburetor but it's a worn distributor bushing so this all comes together it's like on a soil test where you have base saturation where you need to have it all working in unison together but if you have it all working in unison then the fact of the matter is is you're going to have an engine that runs beautifully it's going to engine it's going to it's going to run as it's designed and it's going to amaze you and your friends and what have you of how well it runs but keep in mind i'll recap quickly before we close and fate knocks the whole podcast system over is that uh cleanliness snug tight look for leaks telltale signs of leaks is is varnish on the carburetor 
uh, body. Look for that. Uh, check the outside of the carburetor. Keep the outside clean. Keep the inside clean. You, I didn't talk about this, but you could use a product that's a like a fuel injection cleaner. All right, even though you say it says fuel injection, it'll work on cleaning the passages in the carburetor that you that you're not able to access. All right, all bolts need to be tight. Pay attention to the distributor. And the other thing is, I close. Keep in mind that the specifications for timing and idle speed are only a reference specifically today with the different burn speeds of the fuel out here whether it's a 65 gto or a 72 john deere with a gas engine in it all right so those you're gonna the burn speed of the fuel is what's going to drastically impact or, or i shouldn't say drastically it's going to be the paramount decision on how much timing the engine wants both base timing and ignition spark advance and then the the combustion characteristics of the fuel and the specific gravity the weight of the fuel so if you have ethanol enhanced gasoline it's heavier than straight gasoline is going to affect the, the the carburetor adjustment and the thing is that on unless you have a a hot rod type of engine where somebody really messed up with the carburetor and took it apart and put the put different parts in it that fit all right the thing is that you have you usually be able to tweak it good enough with the float level of the carburetor inside and the mixture screws to make it to make it run well but the heavier the gasoline so if it has a higher specific gravity like a like a ethanol enhanced gasoline is that you may need to raise the float level slightly. i'm not talking about you may need to raise a 64th of an inch so that because the pullover remember i spoke about the transfer slot that the pullover of the carburetor from idle into the main metering circuit is going to be impacted by not only the throttle angle and its relation to the transfer slot but it's going to be impacted by the specific gravity the weight of the fuel so if the fuel is heavier all right then it was when that engine was made years ago then what will happen is as you raise the float level slightly it'll give it a chance to pull over sooner so it basically in essence it's like saying well you have a, a, a 80 pound bag of seed well if you have to lift the 80 pound bag of seed into the hopper okay fine you could do it if you say now you got to lift the 80 pound bag of seed up 10 feet in the, or five feet in the air above your head and put it on a shelf well you can't do that so the thing basically is is that what will happen is that if you need to have a, a stronger venturi signal in the carburetor for it to start to pull the fuel over because the float level is set at the factory specification for gasoline from 1965 and it's 2023 then you're going to have to open that area more and expose more of that transfer slot before it starts to pull fuel now so so the thing is that you have it set for idle properly but now as it transitions into the main metering circuit you say well i already got the th guys already on the throttle i'm already on the throttle you can't do anything there then you have to correlate the float level so you may have to raise the float level slightly so this is all of these different things that come into play to make these engines run properly and i don't care whether it's a weed whacker i don't care what it is that they said in the beginning the fact of the matter yes there's application specific design elements i can't go through there's not a, a not a a class on 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 steel chainsaw carburetors but they basically all function in the same in the same theory and you have to be familiar with what's going on but these little differences of being able to know how to balance it clean it do what have you then the thing is that that is going to that is going to be so paramount and how it runs and getting back to as we be, almost started with the yen yield enhancement network well this is going to be the whatever you want carburetor enhancement network because there's no reason unless that carburetor has a mechanical failure where something is broken inside a diaphragm is bad or the throttle the throttle bushings or egg shape or something is cracked there's no reason why that thing shouldn't run beautifully so i want to thank you so much for tuning in and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and i gotta see what kind of mess my little faith made here all righty take care bye bye